October, Friday the 13th, 1989, Jimmy Wade Martin's body was found on a street in the small town of Bonterre, Missouri. When there are witnesses, a murder weapon, and a taped confession, how exactly does a murder become a cold case? This case has not ended by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people in that town's not going to. You know, come. rumor has it it was big brawl, big bar fight. County jail. We have been working so hard on this. I can't be silent anymore. You know, like you know that guy that got killed here last night. There was rumors going around like the next day. We started doing a lot with Facebook. The question is, what happened to Jimmy Wade Martin? From Blueburn Productions. This is Small Town Forgotten. I'm your host, Chris Halsey. There could be more interest soon in the investigation into the Friday, October 13th, 1989, beating death of Jimmy Wade Martin of Bonterre. Sources tell KFMOB 104 News there could be new evidence in the case. KFMOB 104 News has tried to contact some law enforcement officials and others for more information. We've been successful to a degree and been told that a meeting between the investigating entities, including representatives of the Bonterre Police Department, Missouri State Highway Patrol, St. Francis County Prosecutor's Office, and others, are some of Martin's family members, as well as local businessman Chris Halsey, are also set to be at the meeting. Halsey, who is a cousin of Martin's, helped produce a podcast called Small Town Forgotten that addresses Martin's murder. The podcast can be found at smalltownforgotten.com. Hello, Small Town Forgotten listeners. Let me start off by apologizing for the delay in releasing this episode. We had some important developments in the case that needed our full focus. Our intention was to release one episode every other week on Tuesdays, except of course for the first episode, which was released on Friday the 13th, in memory of Jimmy Wade's death. But our second episode was going to begin a schedule that could be relied on. Ha. We sometimes forget that we're telling a story that is not yet ended. And as I've said before, this is a real-time podcast. And this is a story that we are not just narrators of, but also characters in. I've been reaching out to local law enforcement since we began this venture. And last week, a representative from the Missouri State Highway Patrol contacted our director, and a representative from the Bonterre Police Department contacted me. Chief of Police Douglas Calvert, uh, Bonterre Police Department. I have been a police officer since 1992. Um, I started at the Bonter Police Department in 1993. Promoted to corporal in 95, to sergeant in 97, to captain in 99, and then promoted to chief in 2005 upon the retirement of longtime chief Frederick Nowell. Our overall goal, like I to reinstate, is justice and to bring those parties our party that is responsible for this to justice, uh, to the family. Um, obviously there's no way we can, you know, totally bridge that gap because of their loss. But, uh, in order to try to bring some closure to this, um, case, the volunteer police department will cooperate in any way. And from those conversations, a meeting was set up. And even though there is a pandemic and traveling is a challenge right now, we felt that this meeting was important enough for the risk. So our producers and director flew into St. Louis and the small town forgotten team met with local law enforcement this past week. But we were not allowed to bring cameras or audio recorders into the meeting, but it was an impressive room 
with different law enforcement branches being represented. Now keep in mind, this case is 31 years old, so most of them were either in high school or just out of school at the time of the murder, but all of them are familiar with the story. We shared with them our theories and some new information collected from the twins, and they, in turn, explained to us a path we could take to move the investigation forward. I'd like to take a moment now to thank everyone that was in that room for the time they took in their busy schedules to hear our story and for their willingness to help if they could. What was the result of that meeting? Well, all I can say right now is only time will tell, and I'll keep you updated. No matter what happens, we are grateful they met with us. Since the director was in town, we took the opportunity to retrace the steps of that night 31 years ago. The twins and the camera crew joined us as we walked from where the Colbin Tavern was on Division Street to where the site of Jimmy Wade's murder was on Mound Street. To our surprise, several residents of Bonterre, people we knew and some we didn't, came up to share old details of that night and the days after. Thank you to all the folks who stopped their cars to talk and some who came out of their homes to give their support and encouragement. I would like to say something to the people who have expressed remorse for not sharing their testimonies earlier, for not speaking out at the time out of fear. People who saw something but have stayed silent. Just know that it's not too late. Now is not too late. You're just in time to help, to speak up, and trust me, you won't be the only one with a story. This small town forgotten story is not small anymore. People are listening, and people are talking. When we were first recording this episode, we had over 5,800 downloads, and now we have increased those downloads by over 1,000. We have over 50,000 views on Facebook and over 3,000 followers on social media. Our listeners are from all over the world, from every state in the U.S., many of them from Illinois, California, and Texas, as far away as Hawaii and as remote as Alaska. And to my surprise, we have a large number of listeners in Canada, Australia, and the UK. And a special hello to our lone listener in South Africa. The response from our second episode has blown me away. I'm so floored and grateful to have reached so many people. I'm especially thankful to all of our listeners in our home state of Missouri. It's all of you who are going to make a difference in this case. And who already have made a difference in this case. I remember when you used to sing Alabama all the time when you were daddy's little babies. But you are daddy's big girls now. Dad is so proud of his girls. I can't believe you are in sixth grade. It seems like yesterday I was just holding you in my arms. Those are the thoughts of Jimmy Wade Martin, written in a letter that he gave to the twins just a month before he died. The twins read this letter to me when we recently sat down for an interview. And you could tell... They've read it themselves countless times. He was proud of those little girls when they were 11. I could only imagine what he would think of them now. He is family to me, but I didn't know Jimmy Wade. I was too young to know him when he was alive, but I know the people who formed him into the person that he was. And when I talk to them, they tell me roughly the same thing about him, that he was happy-go-lucky, full of life, and that he also was a bit of a hellraiser. He didn't back down from anyone. We know that he drank, and that he had a temper when pushed. But everyone, 
Every person I spoke with told me how much he loved his family and especially those twin girls. The first interview I want to share with you is with my grandma and my great aunt Kathy. They were not blood related to Jimmy, but these two women not only knew him well and for a long time, but also knew Jimmy Wade's wife, his sisters, and his parents. Before you listen to it, it would help to remind you of some of the family relationships. Jimmy Wade's parents were Jim and Niecy Martin. Jim was the oldest Martin of six kids. Mike was the youngest Martin, and he and Kathy were married. We lost Uncle Jim in 2000, and Uncle Mike passed away earlier this year. Sean, our director, also sat down with us. And remember, my grandma, Joyce Johnson, is Sean's mother, and she was married to Dan Martin, the third or fourth sibling of the Martin family. He's a twin, so it's hard to know the birth order. That is to say, we are sitting down with Jimmy Wade's aunts, but aunts that were not so far away in age. In fact, my great-aunt Kathy was the same age as Jimmy Wade. I knew Jimmy before I knew Uncle Mike. Me, Jimmy, Jeannie, and my sister Connie were all friends. Hung out at their house all the time. They came to our house. I remember Jimmy loved life. He was always happy. Happy-go-lucky. Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did what he wanted to do. Yes, he did. And what he was a good friend. He was a real good friend. Diane was the love of his life. I really believe that. I do, too. He loved and her I think, with all his And I think heart. Jimmy was the love of Diane's life. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't ever put up with all of it. And then she never did get remarried or nothing. I mean, you know, this has been on her mind mm-hmm. since that happened. I, I know that she was the love of his life. He's, he's told us. He loved her with all his heart. They just somehow crashed, crashed. sometimes, you know. They were both headstrong. When Jimmy passed away, Niecy just lost it. She was never the same. Never got over it. Never. Never. In what way? Losing Jimmy. It broke her heart. Her son, it's her only son, and then the way he did, you know, and then nobody has been, you know, um, held accountable. Held accountable for it. Because I used to go visit Aunt Nisi when she, she mourned went on herself to death. Yes, yes. I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, Jimmy was a, a hellraiser and he did like to party, but Jimmy was also good. He had a good heart, he worked hard. He knew everybody in Von because he was always out and about. And he was likable. Everybody yeah. liked him. Yeah. Your Uncle Bill said one time everyone who met Jimmy Wade liked him. And if they didn't like him, they were either afraid of him or jealous of him. Um, He was just, if you needed something, you could call him and he would be there. When Jimmy passed away, his funeral was so packed, they had to stand along the sides of the walls and in the back. And when we left to go to the funeral home, as we're pulling in that row there by Chuck and BJ's, they're still coming out of the funeral home in cars. That's how many people were there. That's when I'll start crying when I think about that because 
That's what I, I was telling you. I can remember getting that phone call and Uncle Mike just breaking down and crying and driving to their house and Jimmy's mom sitting there just sobbing, big sobs. And she looked at Uncle Mike and said, I feel like someone's reached into my chest and pulled my heart out and I don't think I'll ever recover. And I remember your Uncle Jimmy would sit down, get up, sit down, because he was lost. And your grandma, she she just didn't know what to do. She was trying to console him, but she was heartbroken. Do now. I I remember Dana ironing Jimmy's shirt, writing a note, and putting the note in his pocket. And the twins with their tears coming down because they knew their daddy was gone, but they didn't know why. And I remember having to take Diane to the hospital because she was so distraught and so grief stricken. I remember all that genie. It took something out of genie that day and she's never got it back, never. They were all just so heartbroken. His life just ended so violently. Jimmy Wade was loved. He had a family and they loved him, faults and all. He had friends, a lot of friends, and it seemed that they loved him too. To give you an idea of his friendships, I spoke with one of his close friends earlier this week, Richard. He was a real good friend of mine. He's one of my best friends. He he was Jimmy was the kind of guy you wanted to be around because he was a uh, you know it never got boring when he's around. I mean, as far as partying, I mean, you wanted to party with Jimmy because it. He, his motto was "There's nothing better than a good time." He was he, he he was a great guy. Everybody liked Jimmy. I I mean he I didn't know of any enemies that he had. Uh, Jimmy's uh, you know he he didn't he didn't start anything, but you know he's a little guy. I think he was 150 pounds, probably five six. You know he he was a little cocky, but you know a guy that size growing up around here in the 70s, you know you had to be a little cocky or, or you got walked on. You know, you know he was a family guy. You know he had two two lovely daughters and he, he was something else but as far as that happening to him you know I wasn't around here but I know that somebody knows something about that I mean when I when a, back in those days you know if a fight broke out somewhere that they was always whoever was there was watching you know what I'm saying yeah and you know uh, somebody somebody knows I've heard bits and pieces of what happened, but, you know, but that's hearsay. You know, you got to get people under oath and and have them talk, you know. As far as character-wise, I really can't think of anybody that would have anything bad to say about it. And, you know, I was was close to a lot of his family, you know, the Martins and, and... you know, the Martins are hard people to beat. Uh, uh, well, like your grandfather, you know, right. he, he's just, I mean, he's a real good friend of mine. And I mean, it it, it got to all them guys because they were all close to Jimmy. Yeah, I think it took a pretty good toll on my family. Yes, it did. You know, if anybody's listening to this, hey, you know, be a decent citizen. Tell what you know, you know. Absolutely. You know, it's been way too long, and and justice needs to be served. 
The Small Town Forgotten Podcast is brought to you by Nukes Hot Sauce. Nukes Hot Sauce, an all-natural hot sauce company based out of Portland, Oregon. Spice up your meals with any of our four hot sauce flavors, ranging from mild, medium, to ultra-hot. Nukes has got you covered. Try us out. www.nukesauces.com. Use code SMALLTOWN for 10% off your order. N-E-W-K-S sauces.com. Code SMALLTOWN. Diane and Jimmy Wade were high school sweethearts. When she found out that she was pregnant in high school, they were in love. And like many young parents before them, they decided to get married. We loved to have fun. And uh, we uh, did a lot with the girls. And he... He, he, he loved us all, you know, he loved us all. And he, he was a hard worker. He, he gave me and the girls, you know, anything and everything he could. And these two were, meant the world to him. Mm-hmm. And it's just so upsetting, you know, that all this has happened. And it was just, to me, blown, on, you know, swept underneath the rug. And, but Jim was a likable guy. You know, a lot of people liked him. He had a lot of friends. And it's just sad that his life was taken, you know, so young. You know, something that I really never understand what really happened, you know, that night. Uh, We were in high school, and uh, we uh, started, you know, talking and this and that. And then uh, next thing I knew, we, uh, my brother also had... Uh, a relationship with Jim's sister, so we ended up marrying brother and sister. But anyway, uh, he, uh, we just started like double dating, and uh, I got pregnant. Well, anyway, me and Jim ended up having a, a small little, you know, wedding. And um, anyway, I didn't know I was going to have twins until two and a half days before I delivered them. And uh, you know, we were young, and we. Uh, we're shocked, you know, because I never thought about twins. And uh, Jim was on course cloud nine, and um, we got, you know, a um, few little apartment. Then we rented a little house, and uh, you know, Jim was a hard worker, a great, you know, provider, and so proud of them girls. Oh my God, you know, of course, them being twins, they got attention everywhere we went. What was it when you guys found out that you were having twins? I mean, that's that's a pretty big shocker two days before you're yeah. <laughs> going to have a baby. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was just unbelievable because I, I, ne- I never thought about twins. I just remember going to the doctor and them always saying, man, you're, you know, you're really getting away. You know, but I'm like, I can't help it. And so one day... They said, maybe, because back then that was, there wasn't ultrasounds in that. So they're like, well, you better go get x-rays. So I did. And they go, go home, wait two hours, call me. So I did. And they're like, you're having twins. I go, what? They go, we're going to put you on bed rest. And then a few days later, you know, they come out. And the weirdest thing is, uh, you know, of course, uh, I had them normal. And I had a little bit of a rough time. And they're like, would you like to see the girls now? And I will them out. Or they will meet, you know, past them. And I, here I was about out of it. And I looked at him and I was like, oh my gosh, one favors the Martins, one favors the Umfleets. 
Well, when I was getting ready to bring them home, they go, now do you know who's who? And I go, well, yeah, but maybe we better put the bracelets on for a few days. Your relationship with Jimmy at the time that the incident happened, what was what was it like for you guys at that time? Okay. Um, we were separated. He, um, we were having issues with his drinking and that. But anyway, um, he had went to Qantas Center and uh, trying to get help. And he begged me, don't go, don't go file for a divorce. Please don't. Just, get, I mean, you've, you know, I don't know if you've seen the letters. He's wrote, the, you know, he wrote the girl's letter, me letter, when he's down there, you know, and, and uh, I knew that wasn't, he, he was sincere, you know. But anyway, um, I'll never forget that Friday the 13th. I had to go to work from 10 to 6 that day. I was about ready to go out the door. I get a, a phone call, collect phone call from Jim. And uh, he said, I don't know what it is, but I just got to tell you how much I love you. He goes, won't you? And I said, I know. I said, but I'm a, I got to go. You know, I'm on my way to work. Click. Phone rings again. Another click call, phone call from him because he was a union painter in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, back then they didn't have all the cell phones and all that. And he's like, I just got to tell you again how much I love you. He said, and don't ever forget it. Midnight hit. I got hateful. I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but I, I just want to go home. And they're like, well, Diane, what's the matter? I go, I don't know. I just felt like something bad happened. And then when they told me, I was like, what? And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to, you know, tell my girls. I was like, and they were at the, at the friends. And um, I uh, just panicked. I just paced because I couldn't get a hold of um, Jim's family. We hour in the morning, I went to Jim's mom and dad's and asked him to, you know, what actually happened. And they didn't really know for sure either. And I said, um, Jim's want to be there at my mom's when I tell the girls. And uh, so anyway, it's like six o'clock in the morning. I could, you know, I was like, I need my girls. I need my girls. So I called where they were staying at and uh, the dad had answered and I said, Jerry, I hate to call this early, but I really need to talk to Pat. The girl's dad was killed tonight. The hardest thing ever was to tell them. They, they took it hard. I started trying to reach out and like, nobody would want to talk to me. Cause I was like, you know, my husband just got killed and nobody seems to want to talk to me. I couldn't do anything about it that the states took it over and that they'll take it from there. And I was like, well, oh, okay. So that's what I'll, I remember. And I mean, I'm just so impressed with, my girls have done more than any law enforcement. I mean, I'm like, I, I always told them their dad, you know, is definitely proud of them. And, uh, he, he would be, cause see, and I, I felt guilty not, I'd say a few years back. Cause I told Andrea, I said, Andrea, we might as well, or honey, I don't want to hurt you. Cause I mean, they dug and dug and they did this and they did that. And I'm like, you know, I come to the conclusion we'll probably 
we're never going to get no help. You know, Andrea tried getting a hold of cold case files and this and this, and always got shut down. And, you know, it's just uh, a sad situation that I think they just overlooked and didn't really care about, and justice never come, and I don't know if it, it ever will. I, I thank God every day that the girls didn't give up. Yep. I mean, when I seen her, I mean, I was like, Andrea, I am just so impressed. Their dad would be smacked down proud. Because yep. a few times when I went to the graveyard, you know, I'd say, Jim, just show us a sign. Just show the girls a sign. You know, they're, they're working hard on, you know, trying to get justice for you. Oh, you don't know how many times I wanted to say something. But I was, you know, my girls were 11. And they were young. And I was like, oh my God. Diane, just let it go. Cause what if they come after your girls? You know, it's just it's just sad. It's it's really sad. You know, that somebody's walking out there that got away with it. Diane has not remarried since Jimmy Wade's death. She, more than anyone, knew what made Jimmy Wade wonderful and what made him a challenge to be with. But she loved him. Richard wasn't there the night that Jimmy Wade was killed. Neither were my grandma or my great-aunt Kathy, or even Jimmy Wade's wife, Diane. But Jimmy Wade wasn't alone. And if David Brian White was not with him, chances are that Jimmy Wade was with someone he knew. Do you get a picture of Jimmy Wade now? I think I do. He was in fights, but he didn't start fights. He had a temper, but he had so much joy, too. He did a lot for his friends, but he might have done things to upset them. He was a lot of fun, but he had a drinking problem. He was a ladies' man, but also a family man. He was a people pleaser, but was he a threat? Why would someone beat Jimmy Wade Martin to death? Next time on Small Town Forgotten. This is a special two-part episode. In two days, we will release part two and speak to Jimmy Wade's three sisters. Mom and dad were never the same. Um, Our family get-togethers were never the same. Dinner was never the same, because Jimmy wasn't there. And, um, but mom, she, she never got older. She actually took it to the grave with her. Mom, I think mom grieved herself to death. She never got over losing Jimmy. And, uh, now daddy, he, um, hadn't smoked in 10 years and he just picked up the cigarettes and started smoking again but the day it happened daddy was out in the front yard and Gary and I were there my dad was walking around in circles and like I said some things you never forget some things you can't remember but there's some things that just stick with you and I watched my dad walking around in the front yard and grandma was walking behind him and he kept saying my god mom they killed my boy they killed my boy He'd say that, and then he'd stop me, turn around, and say, Mom, what am I going to do with Nisi? Which that's what they call, he called my mom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Daddy, it was almost like he turned white-headed right before my eyes. And I know he didn't, but he kind of did. You know, so he was, they were just, we were never the, they were never the same. Uh, when something like that hits your family, even sisters, you know, I know the girls, mom and dad, how they grieve. We watched them. 
And I know the girls, you know, live their life without their dad and Diane without her husband. And, but I think when evil like that hits your family, it changes the whole, your whole way of thinking. Small Town Forgotten is presented by Blueburn Productions, writer and executive producer Vanessa Martin, creative and executive producer Ashton Holsey, director and executive producer Sean Lee Martin, and myself. Small Town Forgotten is produced in association with Vagrant Media Productions, Brett Wiley, Jake Delaloy, Caleb Cook. Podcast distribution and digital strategy by Logan Janis with Kerrigan Ventures. Original music written and performed by Todd Holsey. For more information, please visit smalltownforgotten.com. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Special thanks to the twins, Andrea and Angela, for their perseverance. I'm your host, Chris Holsey. Thanks for listening to Small Town Forgotten.